This is Leave Your Mark. I'm Vince Cortez, and today's guest is Kenny Weiss. He is a blogger, author, podcaster, and mental health advocate for truth and healing. He specializes in helping people heal from their emotional hurts and pain from their past so they can love themselves and live in their authentic selves. Kenny has a unique ability to see what everyone else has missed, imparting immediate deep wisdom, which generates innovative transformation solutions that achieve rapid results and allow each individual to pursue their healing journey at their own pace without judgment. Kenny, thank you for being my guest here today. Well, thanks for having me, Vince. I really appreciate it. Hi there, and welcome. Now it's time for America's favorite podcast, Leave Your Mark, with your host, Vince Cortez. If it's fly, loose fit it, it's Cortez. If freeze and chubb is in it, it's Cortez. Leave Your Mark is about inspiring the world, one guest at a time. Pass the word from Brooklyn to Pittsburgh, from urban to suburb, it's Cortez, you heard? And here is our host, Vince Cortez. That's extremely rich in your capabilities there as far as the service that you provide um and we'll, we'll get a little bit more in depth I, you know i've had a i have a lot of dysfunctions vince <laughs> i've had a lot of stuff i have to heal so yeah i have a, that's that could a be why we cross paths <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that could be why we cross i'd probably paths. be more successful and more popular if i picked one topic but i've had so many things to heal in myself and i like addressing all of them so yeah, well, you have you quite a bit of talent. So let, let's get through where your your background here. You're born and raised in Denver, Colorado. Uh, your mom, Martha, was she's a homemaker. Your dad, Warner, was a software engineer. And uh, you had three siblings, so four kids in the household. Tom, Sally, and Andy were your siblings. And you reference your childhood as perfectly imperfect parents. And I need to ask how that came to be well my parents were 16 18 when they were married and four kids by 21 and 23 my father was beat to death as a kid he never beat us but he was filled with rage you know and my mother was adopted and um sexually abused as a child and so she became an alcoholic and sadly our culture doesn't teach how to parent um especially back then it was not okay to, to admit we're all perfectly imperfect my parents did the best they could but obviously they had a lot of pain so there was tremendous pain in our household i you know what a sentinel moment for me like i talk about in my book the day i died was i was 10 years old and woke up in the middle of the night just use the bathroom open the door and there's my mom passed out naked on the toilet it's when I discovered she was an alcoholic and I can still literally feel mm. like Star Trek starting at my feet and screaming to myself, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. I knew the authentic self I came into the world with left at that moment. And, um, you know, so for, again, my parents couldn't help themselves, so they couldn't help us. So, um, there was covert sexual abuse. I wasn't, my mom didn't sexually, you know, touch me, but my mom, I was her favorite. My mom would leer at me. My mom thought I was attractive. My mom being alcoholic, finding her passed out naked on the floor, that's covert sexual abuse. Um, you know, so there was just a lot of dysfunction. My dad, his thought process was, you know, she'll just 
stop when she's ready. So there was no talking about it, no getting mm-hmm. us help. That's how, you know, that's how things were done back then. And so, you know, the approach I've taken is it's been my life experience that you don't have a whole family unless you speak truth. And people are very reticent to talk about anything, any imperfection of their parents, but that's a lack of true connection and love because without truth, there's no love. And so that's not, if you hear the words I'm choosing, I'm not blaming my parents, but I am holding them accountable because as a parent, it is our responsibility once we become an adult to go learn how to be a parent and learn to face our imperfections and our society advocates the opposite. And that's a big reason I do what I'm doing is I'm going, wait a minute, you can't solve yourself or heal your family or have good relationships or the career or anything you want until you deal with all that stuff and you get into truth. And so that's why, you know, I'm an advocate for truth and healing. Kind of a back question. Um, You were uh, quite athletic. Uh, Just where in the birth order, where were you out of four children? Number three. And so number three. Yeah. I, I had an older brother who beat the hell out of me, um, and it's a lot of psychological and physical abuse from him, and that's how I became a goalie in hockey, is I realized the only way I could beat him up, we'd play street hockey, and he'd shoot frozen tennis balls at my head, and I realized if I stopped him, it would piss him off. Well, ah. playing with somebody that much bigger, that much older, I I gained... You turned into a good goalie then. I, that's, you know, if you, there's books written on what creates, you know, the best athletes, and they're usually born between January and March. Both, he was January, I was March. We, he played professionally also. And, um, and then there's usually an older sibling. And so, it you know, for me, it, you're getting... I'm playing against a skill level, you know, four years older. Yeah. Well, so, and when you're 14 and that guy's 18, he's, you know, almost a hundred pounds. He's huge. He was huge. Yeah, he's just a beast. Yeah. That's as terrifying yeah. as it gets. Yeah. So you're, you're into the sports here. So on your parents, did you, were they continue to be married the whole time until you left they, for yeah, college? They never divorced. They, they found a way. I mean, there was tremendous love for each other, tremendous dysfunction in that love, but they worked their tails off to navigate how all, you know, the difficulties they both had in their childhood and, and they both adored each other. And there was a a lot of genuine and healthy love for each other, but the primary years for us kids, they were kids. They like, yeah. Their brains haven't even formed yet. Teenage yeah. parents. I mean, he, I mean, you're still trying to figure out life on your own, let alone have four children in the house. That's just think of it. My mm-hmm. my my mom at 25, the age her brain has stopped developing, has a 10, 8, 6, and 5-year-old. Like she's been that for 10 years. She's still growing. Like oh wow. You know, that that's just a lot. <laughs> I think it's admirable that they're still together. That's incredible. They're both past now, but yes, they 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 stayed together their whole lives. That that was that was very actually that was probably helped quite a bit for you four children moving forward. So let's jump into the athletics. You go to Cherry Creek High School and whew, give me a second here because you are loaded on interest. You like this? I th- I put this one first because I thought this was very interesting for somebody young. You like going to jazz, comedy, and blues clubs. Yeah. 
first question is how were you getting in, which is, <laughs> you don't have to answer, but you like ballroom dancing, art, painting, you enjoyed plays, uh, yoga, hiking, bike riding, camping, and probably the one I'll ask another question on, fly fishing. Now, yeah. I'm a novice fisherman. And my experience with fishing is, is that everything in life ties to fishing. And the whole idea of knowing what you're going to, you know, you're seeking what kind of fish, what kind of rod you're going to use, what kind of reel, what kind of line, what kind of lure, what hole you're going to go fish in, how you're going to get there. And it's like, it's applicable. Now, just share with me a pinch of this because fly fishing is not like typical fishing. No, a in, little in bit different. Most people spin cast, you know, the typical fishing. That's all I did. I had a buddy of mine take me up camping with his family. I'm grabbing all that stuff. He goes, You don't need it. I'm like, What are you talking about? He goes, Leave it. You don't need it. You're not going to use that. I'm like, Well, how do you fish? Well, they put a fly rod in my hand. Luckily, you know, because of all the athletics, I can pick things up quickly. And I'm telling you, the day a person puts a fly rod in their hand, and they start working that line and they lay it in the water and they see that fly floating and you learn to put it in a pocket and you see, I don't care if the fish is six inches, it comes catapulting out of the water, snatches that fly and the line is so thin. The rod's just like, you think you've got a shark. Oh, that's exciting. Adding the solitude, the beauty, the movement, you know, around the corner, the excitement, like, oh, what's over there? Okay, I worked this hole, nothing's there. What's there? It, it's just, I, I, from that moment, I was hooked. And wow. I've wow. never spin cast. fishing, it's a whole nother level. Uh, Thank you. Complete, you'll never go back to spin casting. You, you literally, you won't. I got to try like, it now. I mean, I think, I mean, the spin casting just, it shed so much wisdom after I had gone a handful of times. I didn't, I don't even remember catching any fish. I remembered the process. So I had to ask about the fly fishing because I knew it was different. All right. So you're off uh, graduating from Cherry Creek. I got to ask, what was the, what was your mascot's name? Uh, the Bruin. It was a Bruin. Cherry Creek Bruins. I love it. Okay, and you're in Colorado, so we're 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 working it to get the the uh, so now it's time to graduate, and you go play junior hockey in Canada, and uh, what is it? A year or two later, you get a scholarship at Mount Royal in Calgary, and you're in school for a communications major, and a smack the puck around a little. Yeah, sure. I, I thought I wanted to get into broadcasting, sports broadcasting. That's why I picked that, and. And you have to remember back in the 80s, um, the NHL was 98% Canadian. My my older brother went to play junior there up in Canada as well. So us from America, and especially from Colorado, not Minnesota, you know, those northeastern states, a person playing hockey from Colorado is akin back then in that time is all like the African bobsledders in the eighties or nineties. Oh, wow. The Olympics. It was just like, what? You, just Colorado, you don't play hockey out there. So it was very unusual. Now it's not that case at all. Well, yeah. I think that was probably, you said you played then for a short period of time for Colorado Grizzlies, which was pre avalanche. After college, I turned pro. The Avalanche won a couple cups there. Uh, they came in and new franchise. They won pretty 
pretty quickly after they were formed. But that yeah, I they, feel like that was they the left Quebec just as like they were right on the edge of being great. They left Quebec, made a couple trades, and then yeah, they just for the next five or so years they yeah Joe Sackick and they had a couple other good guys. They were Patrick just dominating. Wall, yeah, Patrick Wall. Yeah, that was an impressive. But that was also I think the conduit to the West Coast hockey because wasn't Gretzky over at the Kings after they well, that's what changed in Edmonton. That's what changed it. That's I what thought it started forever. Was I? It was like eighty. So in '87, he got traded to LA. I can't remember. Exactly. Yeah, because like, no, at that, that time we yeah. grew up with the Penguins, and um, it was more of like a northeastern, but like mostly yeah. like Toronto, and Montreal, and Canada were the dominant. So we had like Boston was good, the northeastern part of the country. Uh, Pittsburgh eventually would get good, but um, and, and Detroit were the primary teams until what we're talking about shows up so it's much more diverse you got them coming i mean what's tampa bay lightning doing but yeah. i don't want to get sidetracked so um you also played golf you were a very athletic so you're on a mini tour in the golf so you go through a career of of, of soul searching a, a bit in in a very much an entrepreneurial uh yeah take on life so your athleticism and training is kind of helped build a fearlessness to get out there and do life on your own connect with us on linkedin be our friend on facebook follow us on twitter and instagram you are listening to listening to Vince cortez we just want you to leave your mark i do want to ask you though how do you arrive officially at what you're currently doing yeah that's a great question um yeah as i see now i never wanted to play either sport professionally or you know i built homes and custom every career before then was as i see now me trying to show me how life works the stuff that i now teach i didn't realize my book is called your journey to success it really should be called your journey to yourself because that's what i've discovered is all we ever do is relive our childhood trauma against ourselves. It's like a 3D movie playing out in front of us. Wow. But we're missing the glasses. And if you've ever done that, you notice the colors are distorted. But since we've watched movies, we kind of know what's going on. Well, that's how everyone lives their life. Because we've had parents and seen relationships and stuff, we kind of know what's going on. But our life never really quite makes sense. So we pick these careers, these relationships, these hobbies, all these different things. And, and something's always off. Well, we're missing the glasses. Well, I discovered the glasses. And how I did that, that was after my first divorce. Um, I, in that marriage, I was both physically and verbally abused and went through a horrific custody battle, bankruptcy, uh, awful stuff. And so I, 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 from 20, I was 20 or 21 when I saw my first counselor. I knew back then I had, you know, things weren't right from my childhood. And so I had seen various counselors and started reading things and researching as, you know, I say I've been researching this stuff for, you know, 30 years. I started back in my 20s because I knew something was off. I just didn't know where to look. Well, after that relationship, I went in. I ran into a guy named Mike Pinkston. He became my mentor. And, you know, I told him a little bit of what's going on. And I just flat out said, I was 38 years old. And I said, Mike, I don't know how to be a man. And wow. he said, you know, Kenny, 
Wow. When I was in your shoes, I went and became an expert. And that phrase clicked from that moment on. Whatever book he mentioned, whatever he said, I had it read before our next meeting. I devoured it. And so I'd see him um, Thursdays and I, there was group Monday nights. And I started to run the group. And this is how I ended up in it is, uh, you know, every time I'd come in to see him, he's like, I heard about you. I heard him like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I heard how you worked with this guy in the group and this guy, because it was a conglomerate of therapists and all the men would go to this group. And so I guess the therapist would talk about stuff. And anyway, I'd only been seeing him a couple months and I walked in one day and real serious. He said, you know, Kenny, you have a gift. You need to come work for me. He said, I know you didn't finish school. Just get any piece of paper. It doesn't matter what the degree is, but you need a piece of paper and you need to come work for me. Well, I wasn't ready to do it back then, but that's when I, the glasses, I started, that was the first time I got a glimpse of the glasses. Now I had a lot more healing and a lot more self-destruction and life lessons to put myself through before I could fully find the glasses and then be able to teach it to others. Um, that's what the next 10 years of my life was like. And so once, you know, at, at, at the end of my second marriage, when I was trying to write my kids a suicide note, um, because the withdrawal and pain of that was so severe, that's when I realized everything made it. When I knew I was, I was writing my kids a note and I was describing how much pain I was in, I could do that. But when I tried to justify why this was the best for them and everyone involved, because of the decades of research and understanding about all these dynamics and psychology, I could not shrink myself. I was like, that's manipulative. That's transference. That's, you know, I knew I was playing the victim and I was going to dump victim that victimhood into my kids. And I couldn't I couldn't live the way I was living, but I couldn't die that way and, and have them live that way. So I went back in my office and wrote down a different sentence I wrote down, I want to come up with a process that nobody else has discovered that will fundamentally change the way we look at counseling therapy and shows people how to heal. And over the next two years, it was like um, a complete spiritual process. Everywhere I turned, I just, I just saw it. I'm like, oh my God, this, oh my God, this, oh my God, this. And so there's some insights and things I've put together. I haven't seen anybody ever bring up and they've been very effective yeah. other people. Well, I believe when you wrote that down and you're saying that in your mind, how our mind works, our conscious and then our subconscious mind, you put the program into play. Well, you there's truth to that. And, but this is one of the misconceptions about consciousness and program is we've been taught for centuries that it's a thought-based process. We now know neuroscientifically that every thought starts with an emotion. And if you, and so you have to look at what created that thought. Where was I emotionally? Completely broken. And so, be, and because of that brokenness, see what, what was killing me, the gift of my childhood was because it was so dysfunctional, I learned to read everything. The last time my mom drank, I was 2,000 miles away. I turned a corner and I went, grabbed the phone. I was like, I knew it. Now, the problem is left untreated, 
you become hyper vigilant. And so you're always out in front of life trying to control it, which makes you, which does the opposite. It makes you powerless and out of control. But no one's taught us that. We don't see that. Well, people talk about it, but they don't teach the process of why, what, and how. Well, that's what I figured out. And so what, what really the suicide was, was me finally recognizing I basically have to go back to that moment of finding my mom and I have to let go of the coping skill, the emotional coping skill that I used and I have to start new. And so that's an emotional exchange that then generates a thought, which we, but now that we've had an emotional shift, we can now take a different action. And that's, that's the processing that's missing in a lot of therapy. And, and I mean, like, um, cognitive behavioral therapy is great. You learn skills and tools, but it won't heal you because you're not dealing with the source of the problem. Once you deal with the emotional component and then add that in, it's brilliant. It really skyrockets your ability, but on its own, it's a limited form of helping somebody. My question then is, is where does your perception go when you found yourself in this situation? Like when you realize all this dysfunction was playing out. How did your mind begin to move you out of that pain or that feeling? Well, I, that was making the conscious choice to work on the emotions that were driving the thoughts and actions. And so it's breaking down. Like I was playing golf, try, you know, still trying to play mini tour stuff. And I'm sitting there on the driving range. And I, when I, after writing that sentence, I realized I'm the one hurting myself. I And so I, I realized I'm going to, I can't live with pain. So anything that brings me emotional pain, I'm going to stop. Well, I'd go hit balls and this rage would come up. What I realized is the only reason I played golf as a kid was it was the only place I could find solitude. I didn't like the game of golf. It was peaceful. I was safe. I wasn't going to get hurt. I wasn't going to find my mom. Like mm. it was all it was beauty. Like that's, it wasn't golf. Now that, that was about a month process. And then one day I just broke down crying on the range. I'm like, I can't do this. And I just hung up my clubs. I've hardly played since. And so, but see what that was is I confronted the emotion. What am I feeling? And then what do I think? And then what do I act? Well, I've got to change this. So how would I, this is what I'm feeling. If I don't want to feel this anymore, how would I generate a new feeling? And then I developed a process around, okay, well, here's how you shift the feeling. So in the beginning, I don't know, you know, I would just sit here. I, I made these vision boards and I wasn't there yet. And I go, okay, so when I'm in me, what would it look like? So I found pictures of people, places, and things that represented me whole. And I'd sit and I'd ask myself, what would it feel like? And so people like mistake, they use vision boards and look at them. You need to put yourself in it. So you, you want to go on a vacation spot. And I, there was one picture where I would always do it. It was this couch and the full wall of those fold away doors and the beach. And you can see the palm trees leaning. So I would picture myself instead of looking at the back of the couch as though I was sitting in the couch. I can feel the breeze coming across me. I, when I'm visualizing, I'm only seeing the fireplace in front of me and all of that. So in other words, I'm putting myself in the emotional condition to replace the old neural pathways that were implanted in the subconscious, that those replaying of emotional memories that then generate thoughts and actions 
I'm one pulling those up, recognizing how self-destructive they are and then going, okay, well, this is what it needs to be. And so I, I still do it. I Is it then um, the pain that is always the trigger? Yeah. That's the other mistake is most people spend their lives trying to avoid pain. It's the worst thing you can do. It's your greatest Everyone teacher. wants to avoid the darkness. The answer is in the darkness. I went and be, like Mike said, I went and became an expert in the deepest, darkest, most painful things I've ever experienced. And that, look, that's a law of nature. When does the light come? After darkness. Mm -hmm. You can't escape it. Now you can suppress it, repress it, deny it but your health expresses it, your relationships express it. It's all through your life. You will never outrun it. So if you want peace in your life, there's only one way. You have to become an expert in the pain and darkness. Now, what people, people don't do it because they project from that trauma place how awful it'll be. Well, once you have the life experience, you recognize, oh, this is only discomfort facing this and dealing with this. And for the first time, they can look back and go, wow, the avoidance of the darkness and pain, that's where the pain is. That creates all of it, is me sitting here reliving the pain from the past, projecting it and thinking that's what the future is going to be. But once you take the step, you realize the, like I say, most of the things we've been taught in life, the answer is in the opposite. Once you take the step, mm. you look back and go, oh, it's the avoidance of dealing with this. That's what's creating all my pain. And once I face it, it's just a little discomfort. And now you get to the point like me, when anything bad in my life happens, like I get so excited. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> like I know, because I know all that's coming is life, <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> but, but that's a process to learn. And so I just, I, I have to teach people how to live in the excitement of that because it, it always delivers life. that's the best part about life is being excited that's the best feeling if you are listening from australia florida or just from around the corner from east coast to west coast outlets if you're not into the dirty south straight make a left body body contact us leave your mark with your host vince cortez so let me ask you then you've completely conquered the hardest part of dealing with ourselves, our internal selves and, and the pain and facing who your truth is. And so now that you've conquered this and you're teaching, what is your biggest challenge moving forward in helping other people? The single greatest challenge is self-deception and denial. The single greatest epidemic and pandemic for centuries always has been. And for a long time, it looks like it's going to continue to be our continual self-deception and denial. It is the root of every political, social problem, relationship problem on the planet. We deceive ourselves and we don't know we're in deception. And so most people, when they come across my stuff, their deception will push it away until they get into enough pain like me and they recognize, wait a minute, none of this stuff is working. I wonder if he's right. And then they go, oh, and they start to see, oh my God, I am in deception here, here, and here. You know, simple things like 80% of people say their childhood was fine. Well, that's because 
we've identified, you know, the, the messaging about trauma is it has to be severe abuse. Like it's, we have this horrific picture. Our culture doesn't teach us that trauma is any life event that creates a negative emotional reaction that we then replay or repeat or struggle with. Well, everyone has negative childhood events. Look, we, everyone tells a story of mom spanking them, rolling their eyes, dad being late. Those are traumatic events. Well, people don't want to hear that, you know, because we have to honor the mother and father. We have a deception yes. around what honor is. Honor is truth. Honor isn't lying and minimizing, suppressing that our parents are human. And even if they had been taught all day, every day and had a parenting coach right here, the fact that they're human, yeah. they are going to make mistakes that traumatize us. We are in massive self-deception about that. And that the first seven years of our life dictate everything in our life. We don't want to talk about it. Like, so it, you can bring up any topic in real short order. I can show you, oh, that's from their childhood. That's parenting that's a life experience they're replaying it's everything so it all circles back to that and that's a tough truth for people to to accept now because it feels like a parent saying you're bad or wrong and that's why they push it away they haven't healed that moment i like that um you call them the that we're not being truthful with ourselves. I think a lot of them, I reference them as cultural dogmas, like how you said, you know, yeah, don't, don't talk bad about mom and dad or whatever. Um, we have so many things handed down to us from the previous generations that they don't really apply, but they've been put into our memories. And like you said, you can see how the tape plays up and you're kind of, you don't understand why it, it doesn't rationalize to you. And, and times change and the culture changes and everything like that. So let me ask you now, how do you stay well studied to stay on top of this? Because I mean, as we just suggested, the culture changes, people are coming with, you know, different issues than you've seen over the time you've been doing this. So how do you stay on top of your game as far as keeping them, you know, in the know on what they need to be doing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I gravitate towards, you know, the deepest thinkers, you know, Lisa Feldman Barrett, who's the you know the top 2% of all scientists cited for her work. She's an expert on emotions. And, you know, so I follow her, um, Antonio Damasio, you know, neuroscientist, you know, so the people that are basically at the root and behavioral science um, experts, not so much self-help people, although there are like, there are some that I just really enjoy because an, a perfect imperfection of mine is the words I choose to communicate. It, it doesn't, I don't always, because of my childhood and the way my dad communicated to me, I will pick words that can sound very demeaning um, I can come across as very arrogant, self-centered, a know-it-all, very falsely empowered, like I have all the answers. And there are people like Gabor Mate, who we teach basically the same stuff. And oh, I just get so envious of the words he chooses. I'm like, that that's what I'm that's what my heart is, but my words are still more like my dad and my grandfather's, you know. Um, but you know, so I watch people like that to work on 
those aspects of myself. Uh, but then as far as the science behind the healing process, that's more, you know, the people at the deeper level doing the research and discovery on how our brain and body works when it comes to trauma and childhood and all those different things. What is the most important thing you've learned in your life? I guess it's kind of a two-pronged thing. The, the biggest solution to life is go become an expert. Go do the work. And the primary work is around self-deception and denial. Mm. To recognize that on average, all of us lie to ourselves on average 10 to 200 times a day. Ooh. Yeah. And we are so detached from reality. No, I never lie to myself. Oh, no. We're all living on Fantasy Island. Exactly. God, Lord, we don't know lies that. a day to myself. I'm like being raised Catholic. I feel like I need to go to confession or something. Now. That, yeah. That's how they get you, right? Yeah. And so people don't recognize that, you know, the studies show that between 94 and 97 percent of our adult life, all of our choices, all of our thoughts, feelings and beliefs. We're not even present. We think we're an adult. We're actually a one to seven-year-old child who's living out the unhealed emotions from childhood. Our responses to things, our views of the world and everything are in what's called the wounded or adapted wounded child state. So we're a bunch of children. And, and the proof of that is look at our world and how mm -hmm. people, and, and that there it's like, and see, Gabor Mate would probably say all of that in a much kinder way. Um, <laughs> my intent is to be kind with it, but again, I'm still not there yet. But but that's that's the truth of it. And so that's why I advocate truth, because from there relationship can happen. And none of none of that's blame, none of that's shame. That's just being human. Like yeah. we're doing the best we can with the information we yeah. have. Unfortunately, this isn't the stuff we teach or talk about. Mm. So how is a parent to blame? How is a person to blame? They're doing the best they can with the information they have. You cannot be blamed for doing something you weren't even aware of. And that was something that I learned from Mike. Because as I started to discover this stuff, I was really shaming myself as I confronted my self-deception. He said those exact lines to me. And then he added a caveat. He goes, and he goes, Kenny, you have to realize that today is the first day in your life you actually have a choice. You were just doing what you knew and the best you could. But now that you have new information, you can choose to throw it away and stay in the deception, or you can choose to learn about it mm. in truth. And that's, that's the biggest thing I've learned. And so I've repeatedly chosen to face my deception and do the best I can to live in truth. And I already know that that's impossible all the time, but that's my goal. What was your life before learning this? And what was your life like after? Multiple addictions, divorces, um, only attracted to abusive women um playing two pro sports i never wanted to play a horrific child custody battle bankruptcy um three days holed up in my apartment contemplating suicide the typical normal adult <laughs> life that that's that's the cost of not learning this stuff wow. since then i'm at peace 
Yeah. And while I'm not at peace, I still experience pain and dark days and all of that, but I know how to navigate them. Mm. I'm not afraid of them. I know that they're just part of life and, yeah. oh, I'm in pain today. And mm. if I need to do something, I do it. But many times it's just going, oh, so this is pain. Wow. Okay. Yeah, life has pain. It's a great, great place to be. Yeah. So I have to ask, what is the best compliment you've ever received with your work? Gosh, I I don't know. I because while I appreciate I mean, I of course people have complimented me. And I know that I have an impact in their life, but ultimately they all I am is a facilitator. It's their journey. And they will decide how far they want to go. They may see me for an hour a week or or see my take my classes or join my group. Maybe it's a little bit more than an hour a week. But the rest of the week, they're doing the work. And so while they may compliment me, here, here's the best compliment. It was a man who wrote me and said, you know, I... I was going to reach out to you to have an appointment. And then I realized I knew the answer. That was the greatest compliment. Wow. Because what that means is my whole goal is to teach someone to be me for themselves. And what happens in the beginning is it's normal. I did it to my mentor and therapist is we make our teacher the God. Until we learn more than they do and we recognize oh i have the answer and so that's my ultimate goal with each client is for them to be like frantic i gotta text kenny i got what would kenny say or do and then they go wait a minute yeah i know yeah that that's the greatest compliment okay if you had a billboard what would it say on it he woke up every day and owned his s-h-t yeah, that I that I did my best to ask myself every day, where am I in self-deception and denial and what plan do I need to put in place so that I'm dealing with my side of the street? Excellent. If you have a story to share, tell us. How are you going to leave your mark? Contact us. Leave your mark with our host, Vince Cortez. Be our guest. How would you like to leave your mark? Well, there's a couple things. One... On my deathbed, I hope my kids are in a place where they feel safe enough. And I hope I've been a parent who they can unload all of my perfect imperfections. They can express them and be free of them. And there can be a conversation so that they're unburdened and they feel heard, loved, and accepted, even if I don't have a memory of it or I may disagree with it, that they they know oh, wow, this, like my dad loved me. He wanted to hear this and it was okay for us to talk about it. He was safe enough to hear about his imperfections. That's probably the ultimate one is continuing to grow into a place. And if my kids, if my kids need that, I'm that man and father for them. As far as other things outside of me, um, it's about trying to find a way to communicate this stuff in a, soft loving way so people choose to face their self-deception and denial um and also 
to give people permission to pursue the 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 darkness and the pain in their life um and so that's why in all my videos my book everything i use my life story to teach the concepts i do that on purpose it can be very affrontive because it's so intimate and we're going to youtube it's like god i don't know this guy's too screwed up like most people don't do that Uh those are really deep in them but that's why i choose it is no we need a a model of what it looks like And, and so on you know and so many people that do this, they they try to get up here. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This only works if you recognize we're, there's no difference between us. And so my goal is by sharing all of that, that they don't have to live in the shame and guilt. That it's okay. We're all perfectly imperfect. We all have wounds and scars. And again, it's truth. And with truth, relationship can happen. And so that to me is, you know, the kind of bigger world thing of, at least in my experience and my guesstimation, we won't achieve the relationships we want with family and spouses until we make that a priority. And so I'm trying to offer a possibility on what that might look like and how to go about it. I think you're doing a great job. Thank you. You're doing a great job. The courageousness to put yourself out there like that and know consciously that that's what you're doing and that's what heals. It's like you said in the beginning and we're introducing you found intuitive ways to make this happen for people and the ability to get us there quicker. Uh, We thank you for, for being courageous enough to find it yourself to share it with us. Thank you for the opportunity to share it and reach people I'd never reach who may one day wake up and go, you know, I think I want to give that a try. And and my hope is it helps them. Okay. I want to give you the opportunity. Now you got to tell me all your um, links and I want the title <laughs> of your book. And I sure. just, let me have it now. All right. Oh, good. I, we got a visual. We're on YouTube. Yeah, so I'm going to get this. I thought about it. It's like, dang it. Get I didn't that have right it. in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me grab that. Uh, okay. Book, Your journey to success. You can find it on my website or on Amazon. So okay. Website address, please. Kennyweiss.net. Okay. That's the best place to go for everything. When you're there, you'll see all my social media links, TikTok, YouTube, uh, Instagram, all of them. I have set up sort of a two-pronged process. There are millions of people who really want to do the work but can't afford it. I give out as much free content as possible. I I have over a thousand videos on YouTube and it's deep content and it's all free. I also have a blog on my website. Um, I have free downloads that, you know, give you as, uh, um you know, ability to work the process. I have a free online masterclass that gets you started. The the building block of emotional mastery that every person needs, I give that away free. So for those that, you know, my website is a treasure trove. There's also links to Mike and he's, we didn't get to that story. He's now an expert in neurofeedback because of me and something I did. But so that's a tremendous tool for healing. So my point is, is, if you're struggling financially, 
my, go to my website. Everything is there. I have a recommended reading list. I have the blog. I have links to everything. Also, you'll find direct links to my Greatness University with all my online master classes. You'll find a direct link to my Perfectly Imperfect private group, which gives you access to text me questions, get support from other people on the journey. And I also go live twice a month to coach you through it. You can book an, an individual appointment with me. My website is like a library. And everything comes off of there. And if you spend a little time going through each tab, you're going to be like, oh, my God, this is I wanted to create a one stop shop for people who wanted to heal, whether it, at any level, socioeconomically, those who can afford to pay for things, there's everything there for them. Those who can't, they they get solutions as well. So exactly. that's the best place to go is KennyWeiss.net. That's perfect. Thank you for coming by, Kenny. I really appreciate your time. You're just a plethora of knowledge and wisdom and experience. So it was a pleasure to have you on here and, and get to speak with you on this level. I appreciate the opportunity and your thoughtful questions as well. Thanks for listening to Leave Your Mark today. Tune into our next episode of Leave Your Mark with Vince Cortez. Be blessed. You just left your mark. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Listen to more episodes on demand. Just click Leave Your Mark with Vince Cortez.